Thank you, Rob. And that was quite the introduction. I'll have to come more often. Um, yeah, feel the love. Feel the love, right? Um, I do feel like I've been a part of Hope Church since it was a glimmer in Rob's eyes when he first moved down here. And we've been able to participate in different ways. And that has been a privilege. That has been an honor. That has been a privilege. And that has been a blessing. And I don't know, I was just sitting here thinking, even during worship just now, before I, before I started into the message that we want to do tonight, I was even thinking, I, I think, and it, it may not carry much weight because you don't know me. I mean, I've sat on the tailgates back there a couple of times. I've popped my head in and out every once in a while. But you don't know me, so I don't know how much weight it will carry. But I feel like the Spirit just wants me to say, well done, Hope Church. You hear that? You're kind of staring at me. I feel like God wants me in some way to commend you for the perseverance, the sacrifice, the hot blacktop that you sit on or you park on, and providing a creative way. You know, I mean, listen, we need hundreds of creative ways if, we, if there is a hope to get the good news of Jesus Christ and display the glory of God to every man, woman, and child on this earth, do we not? And not everybody will do it the same, but I feel like God just wants to say, hey, I commend you, Hope Church. Your faithfulness, your perseverance, so do with that what you will, but I really sense that, okay? And so it's a privilege to be here tonight, and it's, it's an honor to be sharing with you guys again. Uh, gosh, it's been a couple of years, pre-COVID, since I spoke last, so it's been, it's been a minute, right? Uh, so tonight, here's what we're talking about, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, if you want to turn there, here's what we're going to be talking about. Rob asked me to talk about disciples making disciples. How do we see a movement of disciple making? And I want to kind of, I kind of want to focus in, you, you might even more specifically say, I want to talk about the legacy of discipleship. How do you personally leave a legacy of discipleship behind you? How do you leave a legacy of transform, transformed lives behind you? Would anybody like to do that? Would you like that to be your legacy? Right? You with me? So I want to share with you three simple things tonight that you need to pass on, and everyone here can do it, to pass on to other people in order to have a legacy of discipleship. In fact, it's kind of a harsh way maybe to ask it, but uh, maybe it's a tough way to ask it. But we could even ask the question, are we a disciple if we aren't making more disciples? That's scary, isn't it? That's scary. So let's talk about a legacy of discipleship from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And it's going to be a few minutes before we get into the scripture. The first thing I want to do is share a story with you. Through the Cypress Project that we lead, and some of, some of the, 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 the Hope Church core team has probably heard this story, uh, but it seemed to fit so well tonight. Uh, this is a story of when we were doing some training in Ethiopia. We've been able to do training and coaching for pastors and planters in a dozen different nations and a couple dozen, three dozen different U.S. cities, who knows. And I was sitting across the table from a young man in Ethiopia, this is years ago now, and his name was Muhammad. 
And that's not unusual because the village that he was from in southwest southern Ethiopia was primarily Islamic villages. There's a lot of young men named Muhammad, right? So I'm sitting across the table in Ethiopia hearing Muhammad's story. And he said, listen, here's what happened. A group of sports evangelists, in other words, a group of people in Ethiopia, came to my village and used a soccer ball to introduce me to the prophet Jesus. I'm like, that had to be interesting, creative, kind of like meeting in a parking lot on Saturday night in July, right? He said, he said yeah, yeah, and here's what happened. I mean, somehow through the deflated soccer ball, the inflated soccer ball, playing soccer two or three hours in a village, wherever this group would go, invariably a young person would become a believer and say, I'm putting all my faith in the prophet Jesus, who's a prophet of grace and forgiveness, not of works. How does that happen? How does the Spirit of God use a soccer ball to transform the world? I don't know. So Muhammad in this particular village was the one who came to faith that night and declared Jesus his prophet, right? And invariably, like always happens, the elders of the village or the imams of the local mosque, they showed up after two or three hours of this soccer evangelism going on, and they ran the, the sports teams out of town. And here's what they would say. I will phrase it in my language, but here's what they said. They said, you have to leave because we've heard about your message. And if it goes, using my word, if it goes viral, it will change our whole village because it has power. Now, this is just an aside. This is just a freebie right here for one second. Right? But when, every time I tell that story and I say that, it convicts me with this question, how do village elders and imams in southern Ethiopia believe in the power of the good news of the prophet Jesus more than I do? They said, you got to go. If this thing catches on, we're doomed. Man, if we believe that about Somerville, right? And so they told Muhammad's family, that he had to leave town, you got to go. His father begged him to leave. He said, Man, you got to move to Addis. You got to move, live with your uncle, get a job, do whatever, but you got to go. I might lose my job. We might lose our home. Um, you might be harmed. You might be beaten, whatever. You got to go. Muhammad went to the edge of the village and refused to leave. And that night, he spent the night under a, under a grove of trees, a little spot of trees on the edge of the village. And his dad went out to him during the night and took him some food and water. He said, Muhammad, you have to go. Muhammad said, I cannot go until I tell you about the prophet Jesus. He said, you got to go. Harm is going to come to you. Harm is going to come to our family. Second night, still there. Takes food and water out to him. You got to go. Not going. Third night, goes out to him. His father says, you got to go. Not going. And that night, his father said this. He said, you have to come to our house tonight under the cover of darkness and tell us about the prophet Jesus. And Muhammad said, what changed? He said, well, before I woke up this morning, I had a dream that me and our whole family and our whole village was falling into a lake of fire except for you, and you're holding your hand out. He goes in, shares with his family what he knew about Jesus. Now listen, how much did he know about Jesus from a soccer ball? How much theology has he learned? How much information about God did he know? Nothing. But his heart was transformed. 
And in that power of transformation, he went in and shared with his family. And as he did, his family became believers, and they started sharing with their neighbors. And long story short, I wish we had PowerPoint out here. I'll show you, show you a picture of it. But long story short, it ended up being a line of almost 70 people from his village in white robes waiting to be baptized by a pastor that was sent in to help them out. And the imam of the local mosque showed up and said, hey, I'm the last true faithful follower here. I'm going back to Kuwait. You guys can have the place. Now, why do I tell that story? Real simple, because nothing short of transformation is going to fix this thing we're in. Nothing short of transformation is going to change the world that we are in. You agree? I mean, you think about, listen, he hardly knew any information, but he was transformed. Now, I'm not against information. Transformation starts with information. It's important. But if information doesn't lead to transformation, we're not going to leave any legacy of discipleship. We're just going to leave books for people to read. Nothing short of transformation will do it. Listen, we are way beyond. We are way beyond better people. Better small groups, better church services, better facilities, look at you guys, better sermons, better marriages, fixing this deal. We are way beyond better because a move of God in this city will never be built on the backs of better people, only through transformed people. But I can hear your objection, too. Loud and clear. Here's our objection. Dude, I'm just trying to survive here. I mean, why are you coming at me with this stuff? I'm just trying to survive. I never thought we'd have another school year like this. I mean, come on. When are we going to get a break? Hopefully, it'll be sometime before variant Zeta. You know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe. I'm just trying to survive. I'm just looking for a job. I'm just trying to survive relationships. I'm just trying to survive the hurt of the last few years. I'm just trying to figure out whether I even want to know the prophet Jesus because I've had a taste of the information about him. I've had a taste of church, had a taste of religion, had a taste of morality, and I didn't come away with a taste for Jesus. So I'm like, what's the use? I never tasted Jesus in that whole process. Real transformation. Listen, God didn't design a single one of us from the moment we took our first breath just to survive. He designed us and gave us our first breath and created us in the image of God to be transformed into his image and to change the world. No matter who you are. He didn't create us to just survive. And that's why we need a legacy of discipleship. The greatest legacy he can leave is a legacy of discipleship. I want to read just a couple of verses early in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verses, <clears throat> excuse me, verses 2 and 3. Look at what Paul says here. That we're going to pray and we're going to dive into those three things I'm going to share with you. You yourselves are our letter. Paul says, hey, You guys are the letter that God's writing that our testimony is true. 
you got to realize, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, which is a very imperfect church. Church at Corinth struggle with sin, struggle with divisions, struggle with all kind of messed up stuff. And yet Paul says, hey, but there's transformation in your life. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about just seeing the evidence that God's working. And you are our letter that God is working the way we say he does because people can see him working in you. It's written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. Verse 3, you show that you are Christ's letter delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Why? Because the Spirit of God is working in us, not on tablets of stone, referring to Moses going up Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments, you know, God writing them on the stones, not on tablets of stones, but now the Spirit's doing a work of transformation in your hearts on the tablets of human hearts. He's writing his story on your hearts that it might be displayed and you can help someone else have a story too. And right now you're my story, which is a testimony that what I'm saying is true. He's leaving a legacy of discipleship. Who is a, te who is a testimony that your story is true? Let me pray for just a moment. I'm going to give you those three things pretty quickly as we go to just a couple more verses. God, I, I pray. God, I pray that we might see beyond any shadow of a doubt that we are created to display your glory. We are created for you to do a transforming work in us and through us. And we are created to take the presence of your goodness and truth and beauty and gentleness and grace wherever we go. And to see that multiplied and replicated through others' lives whom we do life with. And leave behind us a legacy of discipleship. Holy Spirit, there's nothing I can do to communicate this message so that it will land with power. So I'm trusting you to do that. And we ask you to do that right here, right now, in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's look at 2 Corinthians, just three verses 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. I'm going to read those and break them down for just a moment. And I'm just going to try to concentrate on three words. Three words. 16 through 18 reads this way. It says, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So whenever a person, the moment they put their faith in Jesus Christ, a veil, a barrier between us and God is removed, Right? And so because of the work of Jesus Christ in my, on my behalf, his death, burial, resurrection, taking my sins on himself, when I put my faith in him and reject works and accept his grace, the veil is removed. That's a huge deal. Whenever a person turns, the moment you put your faith in Christ, the veil is removed. Now I'm not in bondage to sin. I'm not, in, I'm not in, in bondage to the condemnation of sin. I'm not in bondage to the law. I'm now his sons and daughters. I'm creating him in his image. Now he's reclaimed me in his image. Now I can see who he really is, who I really am. The veil is removed. That's cool stuff. And the illustration there is like we mentioned a minute ago. Of Moses going up Mount Sinai. Now, hardly any of you were born when the Ten Commandments movie came out with Charleston Heston. I don't, I'm not sure I was either, but so you don't know what I'm talking about. But Moses went up Mount Sinai, and in God's presence, right, in proximity to God, 
in close proximity, hanging out in the presence of God, Moses was transformed. And God wrote the Ten Commandments, the laws that he gave his people in order for them to relate to him on stone tablets for him to carry down the mountain to the people. When he got down the mountain, the people were rejecting them already. We don't want God's law. We're going to come up with our own way. And Moses put a veil over his face to cover the glory of God that was shining in his face because he had been in the presence of God. See, people can tell we're in the presence of God. And we're not just peddling information. And so he put the veil over his face so they couldn't see it. Listen, you guys don't deserve it. <laughs> you want something else. So instead of stone tablets and a law that we're a prisoner to, Paul says as soon as you put your faith in Jesus, the veil is removed. In verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So now the veil is removed, and now that you're my sons and daughters, you can come to me with confidence. You can call me Abba, Father. You can come to me in your shame and your fear. You can come to me in, in, in whatever happens. You can come to me in freedom. You don't have to be afraid. Boldly. Like a child trusting without shame or fear. And then verse 18. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture. We all with unveiled faces. Those who are sons and daughters of God. Those who have who, whose God's spirit lives in them and is writing a new story in their hearts. Are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. We are looking as if we're looking face to face with Jesus. Now through his spirit in us. We can be in the presence of Jesus. And display his glory. Because of the work of his spirit in us. Now it's not complete yet. Someday we will be with him face to face. With nothing, nothing at all in between. But right now it's like in a mirror. There's no veil anymore. But it's still a little bit incomplete. So in a mirror. We see the glory of Jesus. Until that day that we're with him. And it says because of that, in his presence, in his glory, we're being transformed. It's a process of change into the same image. Your life, if you put your faith in Jesus, you're being transformed into his likeness. When you brush your teeth in the morning... You are brushing your teeth and looking in the mirror at a son or daughter of God who is being transformed in the likeness of Jesus. Is that not good? Right? And so with unveiled face, we're looking into the mirror until that day, and we're being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, a little bit at a time, glory to glory to glory, until we're with him in glory. This is from who? This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we're being transformed from glory to glory into his beauty, his goodness, his love, his gentleness, his holiness, his patience, all those things. Did you know this? The Holy Spirit's number one job. Now, this should, this should sound crazy to you. The Holy Spirit's number one job is your transformation. All right, somebody's not with me. The Spirit lives in you in order, and His number one job is your transformation into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Our number one job should be investing in others 
and passing on the things that will help them be transformed in the image of Christ as well. And do it in such a way that they can tell someone else. Legacy of discipleship. Now, I'm just going to share three words with you. Three words. Three short words. <clears throat> I'll talk about them some, but three short words. First one is all. If you look in verse 18, the word all. Now listen, all is an extremely complex word as Paul uses it here. Yeah, somebody have heard this before. Bad, bad preacher joke. What does all mean? All. You're not exempt. All, all of us, everyone who's a son and daughter is being transformed into his likeness. And you're like, ah, I can hear the objection again. Dude, I don't know you, and you don't know my job. You don't know my marriage. You don't know my trauma. You don't know my hurt. You don't know what's been done to me, and you don't know what I've done to other people. And you're right, I don't. But none of that should make us assume that God himself is too small to use every circumstance that you've ever experienced to transform you into the likeness of Jesus because that's his number one goal. That, right? Here's the first point out of that one word all. Every circumstance can equal a classroom for transformation. Every circumstance can equal a, tra a, a, a classroom in which I am transformed. Everyone. Good, bad, neutral. And so when we think about that, we think about Paul. Well, Paul's writing this. He's a spiritual giant. I mean, come on. Paul was, was, was maybe the greatest believer that ever lived. Sure, he can say this kind of thing, but I don't know that that applies to me. How was Paul transformed? We'll stick in 2 Corinthians, right? We'll stick in 2 Corinthians and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 24. I apologize in advance for sharing such an encouraging verse with you, but here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. Five times I have received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers. Toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing, not to mention other things. There is the daily pressure on me, my concern for all of you guys. How did God transform Paul? By leveraging every circumstance as a classroom for transformation. The first thing you can pass on to any, any person that you're discipling or seeking to build faith in, the first thing you can pass on to leave a legacy of discipleship is to help people you're investing in to embrace this perspective. Pass on a perspective. Pass on the perspective that every circumstance can equal a classroom for transformation. See, here's how we look at circumstances so many times. 
is like every circumstance is a win or lose, right? Everything we experience, it was either good or bad. We either won or lost. Chalk it up. Every circumstance is we're battling for the right outcome. And I'm not saying we shouldn't in many cases, but here's the truth of the matter. Whether it turned out good or bad, whether we see in our minds that we won or lost, every circumstance is not a finish line. Every circumstance is a starting line, if we'll let it be, is a starting line to more transformation, being transformed from glory to glory if we'll stay in the classroom. And if we're going to leave a legacy of discipleship, in other believers, we have to help them embrace this perspective because it will stay with them, and it's easy to pa- It's not easy, but it is simple in terms of concept to pass on. You with me? Don't, don't, you know, sometimes you don't have time to read 100 books. Pass on a perspective. Romans 8, 28, 29 says, God's whole power is working all things together in order to conform us into the image of his son. Everything exists. Every breath I take, every circumstance I experience is meant to conform me to the image of his son until I am with him someday. Pass on a perspective, number two. Number two is the word in verse 18. Unveiled. Unveiled. We think about the word unveiled. We talked about it a minute ago. Every son and daughter is unveiled. No barrier in between. We can come to him openly. We can come to him freely. We can come to him without shame. We can come to him without fear. We can come to him without hesitation. We can come to him even with doubt, right? That same chapter, Romans 8, talks about the spirit is in us to prompt us to cry out to God as sons and daughters, Abba, Father, hey, Dad. He's in us to prompt us to cry out, hey, Dad, and come to him as the loving, gentle Father that he is. Now, the problem with that is there's many, many of us that maybe didn't experience fatherhood that way. But if you were to make a list of the ideal father, loving, gentle, accepting, no matter what, that's Abba, Father. And here's what happens so many times. I feel like I can't come to God in my weakness. Man, I got to get this shame figured out before I go to God. I got to run this treadmill, make this feeling of shame go down a little bit, maybe three notches, four notches, then I'll come back. Man, I got to get this fear figured out. Man, I got to get this doubt figured out. Man, I got to get this trauma figured out in my life. And we feel like we can't come to God the Father in our weakness. Right? Here's the second thing to pass on. Second thing to pass on is this, and that is to pass on a discipline. This is a hard one to do. But the more you do it, the easier it is to begin passing it on to someone else, and they can do the same to someone else. That is to pass on a discipline 
the discipline of living in weakness because when I live in weakness, it equals a platform for his glory. If every circumstance equals a classroom for transformation, living in weak, a rhythm of weakness equals a platform for his glory. It's not your strength that's going to change this world. It's your weakness through which the strength of God is displayed. So if you want to leave a legacy of discipleship, it's not passing on a ton of information. It's helping someone live in weakness and run to the Father no matter what. Don't try to gain dignity. Christ is now your dignity. Go to God in, in your indignity, right? You can't manufacture this stuff. Holy Spirit's number one job is in you to do this. Listen, we feel like we can't go to God and be honest, and so we hide. This wasn't a, this wasn't a popular thing necessarily when, when Joy and I were parenting our kids, who are now much older. But it's, it's a tool that a lot of parents use now that I hear all the time, and my, my, my um, uh, son-in-law and daughter as well. Seems like a good tool. And that is this. Use your words. Does anybody do that? Come on, somebody's got to do that, right? Use your words, which is that's a good thing. In other words, four-year-old, your meltdown has lasted 12 and a half minutes. And if preschool and school is canceled again, I'm tapping out. Right? No, use your words. Use your words. Get it out. Use your words. Some of us are afraid to use our words with God the Father. You know what? He can handle it. It's what he wants to do. Use your words. God will never reject you for bringing, coming to him in weakness. He wants it. I want my children to come to me in their every weakness. I was sitting in Starbucks. I just thought about this. I was sitting in Starbucks a couple of days ago. <clears throat> I've been in the middle of a writing project under a writing deadline. And um, anyway, I'm in Starbucks several hours the other day. And there's a young mom, two young moms, and there was a young girl, probably four years old or so. And I really didn't notice her do anything. I think she was just asking for something over and over. And uh, which happens. And we get irritated, I understand. Not the end of the world. But I heard the mom say something like this. Well, these were her exact words. I, I probably, I might have been in jail tonight rather than preaching because I almost, I almost went in. But anyway. <laughs> she looked at a little four-year-old blonde-headed girl and she said, I don't like being around you. I don't like being around you right now. I don't like being around you when you do that. It's like, don't ever cheer your, tell your child that. You'll never hear that from God. He might not like something you do. He wants you to come to him in his weakness. Here's the other thing that Paul said in 2 Corinthians again. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Paul has prayed three times. This is maybe the greatest spiritual giant that ever lived. And, and if anybody could get God to do something, you'd think it'd be Paul. Paul prayed three times to take this thorn in the flesh, this circumstance in his life, to take it away. And God said, no, 
See, some circumstances stay with us for the long haul. Because God knows it's more useful to transform us glory to glory in the image of Jesus than removing it. Well, that stinks. Yes, it does. But there's a greater purpose. Paul's prayed three times. God says no. God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, verse 9, chapter 12. For my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Therefore, this is Paul's response to God. Okay, Father, if that's the case, I'm going to stop asking, and here's, what I'm, here's my response. From now on, I'm going to boast and brag all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Jesus might rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'll be content my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, you are strong. You don't have to hide. You don't have to hide. God is begging for you to run to him in your weakness. Because that is where he is shown to be strong. That is where you're transformed from glory to glory. I'm running out of time, but I feel like one illustration, not in my notes here, but let me share this one illustration with you real quick. So many times we are like, we live a veiled life rather than an unveiled life, and we can't leave a legacy of discipleship that way. In fact, we'll reproduce the wrong things. A taste of religion, a taste of church, a taste of morality, but no taste of Jesus, and then people get fed up and quit. But so many times we are like little kids playing little kids' games. How many, how many people enjoy playing hide-and-seek like with a preschooler? Dude, it's awesome because I win every time. I destroy them, right? Dominate. Because a little kid, it's like they go behind this mic stand and they're like, you can't see me. I mean, you're kidding, right? I mean, you count to 10, you open your eyes, they're under a table right in front of you spinning around. They're like, if I do this, if I do this, you can't see me. No, I really can. Here's how we live sometimes. We just, we're sons and daughters. We're no longer veiled. But sometimes we just live a veiled life and stay away from God for the stupidest reasons. Like Adam in the garden, we say, God, I'm hiding. I don't want you to see me. As if God doesn't already see us. And when we live this way, we're not robbing God of seeing us he already knows it all we're robbing us of seeing God and by doing that we're not living in his presence in such a way that we're displaying his glory and passing it on rhythm of weakness last one last word in verse 18 that we're going to look at is this and that is simply the word from. All of this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. From. All unveiled from. What do we multiply to multiply disciples, leave a legacy of establishment? We multiply a perspective. Every circumstance can equal a classroom of transformation. We multiply a discipline. Living in weakness equals a platform for God's glory and his strength. And the third thing is from. 
when we think about from, we think about this. We don't, we, we don't come up with any of this stuff, right? The Holy Spirit is doing this in us. It is a work that he is doing. It is from him, verse 18 says. And so if it's from him, it's not my effort. It is him doing the work. And so when it seems impossible and you're telling me, hey, all I feel like is I'm taking two steps forward and three steps back. Sometimes the biggest factor there is realizing that our transformation is not a job that we have to perform. It is a person that we are to know. And the more we're in his presence, the more our face is transformed glory to glory like Moses. Let me repeat that. Transformation is not a job that we perform. It involves, our dis it involves spiritual disciplines. It involves our submission, our surrender. It, it involves engaging God. But it's not a job. We don't perform it. It comes from. All of this is from God. So if we're in his presence, things will change. Listen, no one has ever been in the presence of God and not been changed. Never happened, never will happen. If we're truly surrendered in the presence of God, you'll be changed. Whatever we say in Cyprus all the time, especially in other countries where we're training uh, other people abroad, whatever the king changes, the, whatever the king touches, the king changes. Say, watushe watchenje. I think that's Creole the last time I taught in Haiti. Whatever the king touches, the king changes. It's from him. So rest. See, here's the third thing to pass on, third and final thing. He's the source. And when we live as the Spirit of God being the source of our transformation, here's what that means. It means that every time I hear and obey, it equals his work. Every time I hear and obey, it equals his work. If I will just listen Simple thing. What if we stopped giving God our to-do list to begin every day and ask him to bless it and instead prayed one simple prayer and said, Holy Spirit, please show me what you have for me today. Then transformation can come from him. Listen, the greatest thing you can do to leave a legacy of discipleship is to teach someone else how to simply hear and obey. Hear and obey. It doesn't matter if it's the smallest thing. I was, I was talking, talking to a guy uh, uh, not long ago, one of the families in his group, they decided that they were going to do that. They were going to, hey, we're going to start praying with our kids and starting the day and ending the night saying, Holy Spirit, show us what you have for us. Do your work in us. It's got to be from you. Right? So he prayed this prayer. I don't even have time because I'm out of town, but I, I, you know, I pray Three or four crazy things happened during the day. From a lady losing her keys who was driving a, a um, guy in a wheelchair to the hospital, and they were able to, you know, spirit, you know, God led them to the, to the keys and helped them find him. I mean, all kinds of things happened. But, but the one I'll concentrate on just the last, last minute or so is that that night he's putting his kids to bed praying this prayer. Because what? God's the source. It's from him. And he's praying this prayer. 
Holy Spirit, I just pray for my kids that when they wake up in the morning, you will show them what you have for them tomorrow. He sees a WhatsApp message on his phone as he's putting his kids to bed. And he's an IT um, design, you know, so software design something. And he worked with a lot of people in, the, in Asia. And so he thought, well, maybe it's, maybe it's one of the people I work with. Let me look at it. And his name is Nate. But the message said, Mike, what are you doing? So it's obviously a wrong number or whatever. Somehow somebody put the wrong number in. And, 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 and he said, well, I'm just going to delete it and finish putting my kids to bed. And he, felt, he said, you know what? God stopped me in that moment and said, Nate, answer his question. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you talking about, God? Like tell some stranger in Asia that I don't know that I'm putting my kids to bed? No, I want you to tell him exactly what you're doing. Okay. So he messages the guy back. He said, I'm not Mike. You got a wrong number. My name is Nate. But right now I'm putting my kids to bed and we're praying a prayer that we would know what the Spirit of God has for us tomorrow. And we would give him room to do it as the source of our life. Well, that's going to be the end of that conversation, right? Never hear from that guy again, whoever he was. Bubbles. He says, okay, sorry to interrupt, but can I ask a question? Nate says, sure. Message comes back, are you a believer in Jesus? Nate says, yes, why do you ask? He said, well, I'm in China. And my family became believers recently and becoming a part of a group of believers. And I just still have a lot of questions. I just don't know. I don't know if I want to make that step, that sacrifice. Can I ask you some questions? Come on, people. You get a message that says, just tell them what you're doing. I'm putting my kids to bed. It may lead to a movement in China. I don't know. Hear and obey equals the work of the Spirit. Trying to perform the job of your own transformation does not equal the work of the Spirit. But hearing and obeying does. Paul ran into that in Acts chapter 16. This great spiritual giant Paul who's writing this. He tried to go to Bithynia. He tried to go to all these six different regions in Asia because he had great plans. He was the greatest church planner ever. He had the greatest ideas ever. He had the greatest strategies ever. He had the greatest team ever. And the Holy Spirit said no six different times, and they all failed until one night he had a dream of somebody who said, hey, come over to Macedonia. We need you over here. And it was a man calling him. And he went to Macedonia and found a woman in the marketplace, dying clothes in the river, and said, well, this must be it. No, it was a man. Well, this must be it. I'm just going to talk to this woman. And it changed the whole city. Because the greatest spiritual giant of all time needs to hear and obey in order to see the work of the Spirit. And if you can pass on the discipline of hearing and obeying even the simplest things, you'll have a legacy of discipleship. See, if Jesus Christ himself, and you can see it in numerous passages, if Jesus Christ himself was dependent to listen to the Holy Spirit, it said he got away and he listened. He got away and he listened. He did what the Spirit said. He obeyed the Father. Listen, if Jesus, while he was on earth, was dependent on the Holy Spirit to know the wills and the, of the will and the ways of the Father, how much more am I? But I rushed through my day. Now I wonder why I don't see his work. Perspective, discipline, source. 
legacy of discipleship. Every circumstance, my weakness, his strength. Let's pray together. Father, we think of your word, and we thank you that even though sometimes it seems unbelievable, it is true. We have stories of it. We've seen testimonies of it. There are those around us whose testimony directs us to it as well. The truth of it, the power of it. So, Father, I pray right now as we end this service, there may be a circumstance we need to see as a classroom. Help us do that because it's hard. There may be a weakness that we're embarrassed or ashamed and we don't want to bring it to you. But that could be the place you show your strength. May we live unveiled and hide no more. And Father, I pray that you would help any one or all of us get off the treadmill of trying to perform the job of making ourselves better and just make room to hear you and obey you so that you can transform our lives and those around us. It's in your name I pray. Amen.